This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. The goal of this podcast since day one is to provide the best information on the Vancouver real estate market at no cost to you, the listeners. To that end, we'd like to thank the following sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Burquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one beds to three beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at markon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at markon.ca or follow them at Instagram at markonhomes. Markon, building for life. Get ready for Vancouver's premier real estate podcast. Your source for buying, selling, and investing in Vancouver's real estate market. With your hosts, two guys with faces for radio, Adam and Matt Scalina. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your other host, Matt Scalina. And we have a great show for you today. Yeah, it's excellent. We have Lee Walker, who is the managing partner of Lawrence & Walker, which is an appraisal company. Um, One of the leading appraisal companies in the Lower Mainland, for sure. And uh, I'm super excited about this interview. I think that yeah, this this is another one that you you took on yourself. Uh, and uh, but Matt was from, supposed to be joining us, but he was uh, ten minutes ten minutes I, away. I got and, I got here and listened to it from from the other room. Uh, yeah. at, at least Adam's portion of it. And you uh, saw the on air sign blinking. In, yeah, yeah, in the new <laughs> podcast studio. You're right, right. We do have a new podcast studio. Yeah. We're not we're not using it today, but we're 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 moving into it. Yeah, and it's. It's uh, it's interesting. So what I what I've been doing is well, I I, I was kind of telling you about this. I've I've got this kind of shed area at the bottom of my house, which has a separate door that we've always just had. It's been gravel and it's been for bikes and um, you know gardening equipment that sort of thing. Yeah. So I started telling uh, Sabrina, my fiance, a, f- a few months back. You know, let's build a gym. You know, we both have been trying to go to the gym. It's very yeah. hard to get to the gym. It is, but if it's in your house, you have no excuse. Yeah, yeah. That's so we were. Th- so I've been telling her, you know, I'm gonna. We're gonna build a gym. We're gonna build a gym, and finally, I got my general contractor to come here, and and you know, we we poured concrete, we did the flooring. Yeah, it looks. It, it the process was fairly extensive, but it looked it looks amazing. Yeah, it's it's like an extra 150 square Pot feet lights. that we did. You really have. did. You know, added some windows. Yeah, for sure. It's 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 great space, and it it will make a great gym. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, it's not going to be a gym. 
it's turning into i started bringing the podcast gear down there and uh sabrina fortunately doesn't listen to this but um, <laughs> no longer live from yale town we're live from east van east van <laughs> we're live from <laughs> from a, a subground in undisclosed location in east van yeah exactly undisclosed because i don't want the city to know about the renovation <laughs> <laughs> anyways so uh we have an excellent show we have an excellent show for you today um lee is a fantastic guy he tells you you gotta stay yeah. tuned to the end of the interview and, and good information but also great stories he's got some great stories he's he's had a very interesting career he started out in in real estate um and later on got his uh, cra uh with the appraisal institute of canada and he's he's moved on and now he he owns this very successful company and uh he's just a just a really well-rounded guy um very interesting to talk to mm-hmm, and has mm-hmm. a lot of information about about not only appraisals but just how to approach stuff in the general market i asked him uh two questions that i think are are really helpful what are what are is a small thing that you can do to increase the value of your home everybody wants to know that yeah. and one is to build a podcast studio yeah. Am I right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think if anything, that's uh, it, it. It definitely will help with the. Somebody will think of it as a man or woman cave, or there's something to do with it, or maybe yeah. it will finally find its. Uh, the, at the end of his life, it will become a gym for someone, just not us. <laughs> Again, it's going to be a gym. This yeah. podcast studio is going to last for about two weeks, I think. <laughs> uh, so, anyways, and then I also asked him what what was a big thing that you what was a major kind of change that you can do. Um, to to increase the value of your home. So, you know, I, everybody always hears the kitchen. So is that true? Uh, I guess you have to stay tuned and listen to the wait interview. Wait for it. And uh, for couples, sure. yeah, there's, uh, and again, wait for the stories at the end too. Yeah, there's some very interesting stories. So um, without further ado, here's our interview with Lee Walker, managing partner of Lawrence & Walker. Hope you enjoy. So hi, Lee. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Thanks, Adam. Um, I'm a real estate appraiser specializing in residential real estate appraisals. Uh, I began as a realtor in the early 90s. uh, And at that time, uh, I was working in a completely different industry. And uh, I switched over to real estate sales. So I became a realtor while I was in college, discovered what appraisals were, switched over into the Langara a real estate appraisal program. Again, that was probably in the early 90s. I did some time, did some time at BC Assessments. Um, I realized that the uh, union type of career wasn't what I was interested in. And I switched at that time to, uh, now we're in 1996. I started working for a company called Don Lawrence and Associates, which uh, I purchased in 2008. And now is the company that I, um, we switched the name to Lawrence and Walker real estate appraisers um, in 2008. That's the company that I, that I own right now. Okay, excellent. So who are some of your clients? Uh, we, we do work for a, a wide variety of clients. Typically, they're banks, uh, credit unions, other private lenders, um, mortgage insurance companies. We do work with a lot of mortgage brokers, lawyers, and sometimes we do work for homeowners. So for instance, a homeowner is interested in learning what their property is worth because they're looking to put it on the market and they want uh, an independent uh, opinion of value, not necessarily from their, their realtor. 
Right. Okay. So, so um, basically, a lot of a lot of our clients talk about um, trying to figure out market value, and and uh, the the question of the appraisal when we're talking about financing comes up. So, can you explain what is an appraisal and why is it important? So, the the, the real textbook and simple answer of what an appraisal is, is it's an independent opinion of value that can be relied upon by third party lenders, uh, buyers, sellers, courts, etc. So, really, what it is is that if you were to go to your bank and looking for alone, they'll want to do an appraisal on the property to ensure that the security that they're lending on is um, is indeed worth what uh, you're purporting it to be worth. So right. uh, is, the, is the home that you're purchasing actually worth the price that you're paying? And um, typically the banks want to make sure that they, they have in their, in terms of their risk portfolio, they want to make sure there's an appraisal attached to their deal okay. in each and every time. So what's the process of an appraisal? So typically what will happen is is that we will be contacted for an appraisal from our client. And our client is the person who engages the appraisal for the assignment, so it may or may not be the homeowner. So let's let's go through a um, a typical purchase appraisal. So um, you are looking to purchase a home. You make an offer. It's accepted. Um, You go back to your bank and give them the contract and say, this is the home I'm looking to purchase. Your bank will in turn then contact us or contact me. And I will make arrangements with the listing agent to go in and do an appraisal on that property. Now, all of this is taking place um, not necessarily um, in the in behind the scenes. You're not seeing any of this take place. You do know an appraisal is taking place, but you won't be uh, privy to that appraisal um, as it's happening. And secondly, if there's, let's say, for instance, you are a homeowner and you are refinancing your property and looking to take a little bit of equity out, in that case, the lender will call us, the bank will call us and say, go appraise uh, this particular property. We will contact you, the homeowner, and we will make an arrangement to go in and view your property at that point. And then we send the appraisal report back to your lender. Right. Okay. And so, and you're trying to figure out essentially what, what the market value of the property is, I, I assume. So what, Correct. So what is the process of actually, how do you, how do you get to market value? Well, market value is, is for a single-family house is based on what's called direct comparison approach, which means that we gather the information on a particular type of property or the subject property, and then we compare that to the data we have for all the other homes that have sold in the marketplace. So where does the subject property fit when we take a look at all the other homes in the area that have sold that are similar um, within a, a reasonably short time frame? And then what we need to do is make adjustments for the differences in property. So a very similar home to the subject sold next door, however, it has a double garage instead of the subject single garage. And we we need to use our sort of quote unquote appraisal appraiser experience to determine what that uh, the difference between the single and double garage would be. So we go through all the differences between the properties, and then we arrive at um, adjusted values, and then we we reconcile that those adjusted values into a final value for the subject. Right. Okay. So can we talk about some of those factors? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, the one you've always heard of is location. Uh, we don't call it location, 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 but we just call it location because there right. are so many other factors that play into value. It's not as simple as location, but that is one of the main key features. So first of all, it's location within a region. It's also location on a street, it's also look which side of the street. Sometimes the values can be quite different. So, for instance, in 
in an area like West Van, where there's there's steeply sloping uh, topography neighborhoods, um, does the view come from the front of your house or does the view come from the back of your house? So in terms of location, those are vastly different. Uh, we obviously want to take a look at the type of property that you have. Um, we also want to take a look at the condition, the quality, the floor plan. All of these things are taken into consideration. And then we layer that on top of market conditions, that's current market conditions. And then uh, trends in the immediate area, for instance, are um, is one neighborhood particularly stagnant or is one neighborhood particularly hot for, for one reason or another? So we do need to analyze all those things. Um, sometimes we'll, we can describe it as we are looking at your property through the eyes of the market. So if we are, quote unquote, every buyer, how would we view your home um, in the marketplace considering we've taken a look at all the other homes that are like yours uh, that have sold recently. So we, we try to look through the eyes of every buyer to look at your house. Right. Okay. Interesting. So in a market like today's market, we've got uh, basically a jumping market. We've got multiple offers on a lot of properties. And a, in a lot of people's opinion, the sold comparables just aren't supporting the sale price at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Is there a strategy that you guys employ to figure out where where the sale price might land? So it, it, it becomes really difficult because appraisers themselves, we have to use sales evidence that's already taken place. So when a realtor determines the value of a property, they can project forward and say, I think that this property can get X number of dollars six weeks from now right. based on the trend in the market. However, from an appraisal standpoint, we need to look over our shoulders at sales that have taken place. And by the time we're using these sales, they're actually already dated. So if I use a sale that was, you know, even uh, 30 to 60 days old, right now, if we look at the market that we're in today, um, there's quite a bit, quite a bit different um, market conditions today than there were 30 to 60 days ago. Right. Very, very hot market, moving yeah. upward rapidly. Um, and again, we, when we look over our shoulder, we're always looking in the past. A realtor is always looking forward. So the gap between what I know a property is worth just because I'm a person who analyzes the market is different than what I can show on an appraisal report, right? which can be, which can be problematic. And so when we deal with something like a multiple office situation where in years past, when we have a multiple office situation, let's say something is listed at 700,000, four people make offers on the property and it sells for 720,000. Typically, we could probably arrive at the $720,000 valuation based on based on the analysis of the market. However, in what's going on in today's market, same property listed at $700,000, um, you have 12 people putting multiple offers on it. It sells for $950,000. Right. We've, seen, we've, we've heard stories of like that um, every day on the news. Um, I can't guarantee in that case that the actual market value is going to be $950,000. It very well can be the case that one of those people in the bidding war decided to pay more than it was actually worth just to secure the property. So my advice to people in multiple offer situations is just be careful. Um, go in, have your realtor look at the fundamentals, um, and don't uh, don't be discouraged with the multiple offer situation. Put your best foot forward the best that you can, but be aware that you could possibly be paying more than what an appraisal can can support. So if you are looking for a mortgage with a bank, 
you may need to come up with some cash um, because the bank will only finance to the amount of the appraisal, not necessarily the purchase price. Exactly. And that's actually, that was actually my neck. That's where I was going with this. Um, what we've been seeing is, you know, for example, Van City Buzz just had an article yesterday about a house that sold for, I think, 760 or so thousand dollars over asking um, mm-hmm. with no comparables that really support it. So there is always that risk that if you are getting a, a mortgage and you're planning on putting, say, 20% down, you could be on the hook from the lender to make up that difference, right? If it doesn't Correct. raise for for what you paid for the property. What's interesting in that scenario um, is that let's say, for instance, you did a longer close. So you did a 90 day close in that, in that case, probably by the time the 90 days is, is coming to an end, the market's caught up. So the appraiser then has tools in terms of uh, recent comparable sales that would support the higher number, but they wouldn't have it 90 days ago, so to speak. Interesting. So you could actually get an appraisal done Closer to the closing date, if you had a long close, that that may offer a very different price point or, or evaluation. Correct. It, usually what will happen is as soon as the property has, um, the, the deal has been signed and there's an accepted offer, that's typically when an appraisal is going to be triggered. Mm-hmm. Um, however, when you're dealing with a long close, the market's going to be different in 90 days. So you may want to do another appraisal at that point, and then maybe you won't have to if you are in a multiple offer situation and paying more than what the appraisal came in at initially, that might be an opportunity for you to close the gap a bit. Okay. Okay. So um, a lot of people in the lower mainland talk about BC assessment. I hear that all the time in my open houses. Mm-hmm. What, what's, what's the BC assessment? Is this a useful, a useful uh, number to gauge market value? Is it a useful strategy for buyers? Unfortunately not. Um, not usually. I can't find any case where BC assessment data can be used um, to determine what a person should do in the marketplace. Okay. Um, that information is there for a particular purchase purpose, which is to determine the uh, the tax base. Um, just to give you an example, so BC assessments. I did spend some time working at BC assessment, so I'm um, I'm pretty familiar with their process. But they value the properties every every property in the province as of July 1st of the previous year. So let's say, for instance, we were talking June. BC assessment evaluation date is 11 months old at that point. Right. Um, they appraise properties on a bulk basis. Generally speaking, neighborhood neighborhood X is going to be done on a bulk basis based on the particular rate that they're going to use, um, based on home type, whether it's an apartment, townhome, or single-family home. It won't pick up things like, is the street a busy street? Is it a corner lot? Does it have a view? Um, is the property, has the property been renovated? Um, it does not pick up on things like this. And when people are trying to figure out what their property is worth, um, especially in Vancouver and the Lower Mainland, they're very savvy people. And, they, and they've been watching the market, watching sales, and they're probably able to pinpoint a value just with their own knowledge better than what BC Assessment is able to do. Right, um, and so BC assessment certainly serves a purpose. However, um, in our hot, fast-paced real estate market, I think that it's not a useful tool. In fact, it can send people. Um, it can it can set sort of false expectations where everyone thinks that whatever the BC assessed value is, we times it by, you know, we add ten percent or fifteen percent to it, and that's always going to be the general general value. Well, what happens if a property? 
What happens if a property has had a $200,000 renovation to the property that BC Assessment doesn't yet know about? Right. Um, well, that, that 10 to 15% quote-unquote policy doesn't apply there. Um, and I can tell you that the BC Assessed value is often higher than the actual value, and it's often lower than the actual value. Um, people get surprised when they, when they sell their home below BC Assessed value. However, I can tell you it happens all the time. Right. Across the lower mainland. Right. Okay. Okay. Um, so, for just thinking about, you know, we're doing market analyses all the time um, for clients, and and often if the if the property is is pretty typical, like say an O six plan in a large building where there's mm-hmm. several O six plans that have sold recently, it, it can be quite straightforward. What about for unique? properties, uh, both maybe commercial and residential, is there, is there, when there's very few comparables to kind of look at, what kind of methods do you rely on? So again, I'll go back to quote unquote appraisal 101 back in, back in school. There are three different methods of appraisal. So we call them the um, approaches to value. The first approach to value is an income approach to value. That's where you determine the value based on the income the property receives. So we're looking at some sort of an income-producing property, whether it's a apartment block or one of the Bentall Towers. Right. The value is based on the income it derives. Uh, the second approach to value is, is called the cost approach to value. And you would use the cost approach when there's not a lot of market sales evidence. Um, the cost approach basically takes into consideration what the land is worth, and then what the uh, the cost to construct the building that's on the property, and then subtracting some depreciation by uh, you know, various methods of calculation. The third approach is the one that we use typically in residential, which is again the direct comparison approach. But um, you mentioned in cases where that's very rare, um, you sometimes can look at the cost approach. So, for instance, we're looking at a property in Point Grey where there aren't a lot of sales of big concrete homes, multi-million dollar homes on Point Grey Road with water views and beach access, um, you would not be completely relying on the direct comparison approach just because there's not a lot of sales. You would also consider the cost approach to back up what sales, what little, what few sales you do have. So you would, you would consider, okay, well, what is this piece of land worth? What would it cost to reproduce this structure on a cost per square foot basis? Um, and then figure out what sort of depreciation there is there. Um, in that case, you would use a combination of direct comparison and cost approach, and that would be the, the sort of way we'd approach that. Um, you mentioned OC plan in a particular tower, I think, in, in Vancouver, your recent example. Right, yeah. So uh, just meaning that if there's several several plans that are virtually identical in the same unit, mm-hmm. um, you know, some people might say, well, it's it's the same finishes, it's, this, it's the exact same plan, and it's a very recent sale. Well, maybe I'll account for somewhere between two and $10,000 per floor, depending on the view, and, and generally that's, exactly. you know... That, that is, that's exactly how I would uh, approach something like that. And I do want to bring up something that, um, that I get asked quite a bit. Oftentimes I'll get asked what the price per square foot in a particular neighborhood is for condos. Mm-hmm. And appraisers don't use price per square foot models uh, when, when appraising condos. That is a, that's a realtor term. That's a, that's a term and a, and a method that came out when Bob Rennie started marketing properties. He needed to figure out how to price 
150 units within a single tower. Right. That's really where price per square foot makes sense because, like you said, we're dealing with the same building, the same finishes, roughly the same floor plans, um, possibly the same views. The problem is, is that you know, if let's say, what's the price per square foot in Yale Town? Well, we're dealing with a lot of different buildings. Some have problems. Some are great buildings. Right. Some are low end. Some are high end. Some look at the water. Some look at the city. Um, when we start only looking at price per square foot, it sends people in a completely different direction of what the actual value is. Um, so I, I, I do caution people from purely looking at the price per square foot model because I can tell you that um, you know a six hundred or a six hundred square foot unit in let's just say Coal Harbor can be uh, quite a wide range of value and quite a quite a wide range of cost per square foot, price per square foot. Right. And that's what we often tell our clients is there's there's no way, there's no kind of blanketed approach to understanding the price of one specific unit. Every unit mm-hmm. is unique in its own in its own way. There's ways to kind of get to the price, but each each uh, each specific unit or house has to be interpreted on its own accord. So Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so speaking about some of the more challenging uh, properties, do you have a, a challenging appraisal that, that you worked on that, that you'd care to share? I can give you, uh, yeah, I have a couple. I can give you a recent one and then one one from a number of years ago. Sure. Um, the first one I call the Titanic Apartment. <laughs> and it's uh, It was a, on Bayshore Drive in Coal Harbor. Um, really, really high-end condo with water view, nice large decks overlooking basically Stanley Park and Coal Harbor Marina. Um, at the time, the unit was purchased for $2.7 million. And the owner the owner put $1 million in renovations. And this is when I was called in to come oh. and appraise the property. They were, they were believing the property was worth approximately 4 to $5 million at that point. Oh. And based on that information, I thought, okay, well, this should be an interesting uh, property to see because it's, you know, a $1 million renovation is a pretty significant rent out for a property in Cole Harbor. Yep. So when I got to the property, I opened up, um, opened the door and I was immediately struck by, um, mahogany panels across all of the walls, um, <laughs> furniture from the early 1900s inlaid flooring and gold. So essentially it's called the Titanic property because the owner, Right. Of, the, of the apartment spent $1 million replicating the drawing room of the Titanic in his apartment. Right down to the cabinets were made, the kitchen cabinets were made in the same factory in England that made the, um, that made the, all the cabinetry for the Titanic. Wow. The company that did all the wood inlay in the Titanic and all the banisters going into the ballrooms and stuff were uh, brought in from England to uh, to do the interior of this place. So, from an appraisal standpoint, where ninety nine point nine of the percent of the uh, condo stock in Coal Harbor is quote unquote modernist, right? Um, this one certainly stood out. So, and, and um, the Titanic was at the bottom of the sea, so you couldn't use the that. Titanic <laughs> was at the bottom of the sea, exactly. And this was a this one was someone's dream home. And it, I don't think that it would have been, uh, you know, we were to bring 10 buyers through. I don't think it would have been the dream home of any of those 10 buyers. Right. Uh, right. So that was a very, very challenging property to appraise. And in the end, what we 
what we ended up appraising that was just very slightly more than he paid for it, which was, which was a market increase. Mm-hmm. Um, one could argue that, so he didn't, he didn't make any of his $1 million back in his renovations. Right. Um, but one could argue that he might have even, um, decreased the value because most of the people that would be looking at buying that unit, um, would consider tearing everything out and starting from scratch again. Yeah, and it would actually cost them more than if it was just the the original finishes. That's correct. So uh, the owner was aware of all this. He went into this with with open eyes. Uh, however, he wanted to build uh, his dream property. So I give him credit for following through with the project, regardless of what any of the uh, the the best uh, the best advice was. Wow, and very and, interesting. One. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Deep pockets, I guess. <laughs> deep, deep pockets and deep, deep, con- deep conviction to uh, fulfilling his dream, which was pretty right. interesting. Right. Uh, and, and then you were saying you had another one. I have another one. Um, I in 1996, I was asked by a credit union to go take a look at an acreage in Fort Coquitlam. Um, I was pretty new in the business at the time, and uh, I was told by the lender to just that the, the owner of the property would meet me there, and he was a bit eccentric the word that they used and just to just not to be caught off guard when I was there just to make sure that uh, I was I was prepared for what the person I was about to meet because he was a little odd so that was the first time a lender has ever warned me about that Um, I arrived at the property uh, in Fort Coquitlam and there was run down home lots of vehicles strewn all over the front of the property dogs were greeting me when I got out of my vehicle and um a gentleman, a slim gentleman with thinning hair, uh, gum boots, and uh, a beard came out to me and met me in the car and introduced himself as Willie Picton. Oh, wow. And uh, I didn't know who Willie Picton was at the time, um, but he proceeded to walk me through the property, um, into the home, into the various outbuildings on the property. There were substantial outbuildings, I guess. They had been using the property as a, um, uh, a staging ground for their for their uh, demolition company, I guess they would they would buy equipment from other businesses and just sort of bring it to the property and tear tear it apart and, and sell it. Um, so he took me through um, warehouses, he took me through barns, he took me through um, various different uh, storage sheds on the property. I was getting an uncomfortable feeling just being there. Yeah. Um, there were other people on the property and. And, uh, so I, I felt okay, but there was, there was a point when he took me back and he pointed into the back acreage and I could see that he had uh, school buses stacked on top of each other, um, oh. various old trucks. And then there was also sea can containers. So those cargo containers that go onto ships, right. um, old car- cargo containers that were currently being, uh, there was an excavator that was digging up. Um, part of the back acreage and then burying these cargo containers. I thought that at the time to be very strange. Um, went back to my car, got back to the office to prepare the report. And for the first time, and it's the only time in my career, I, I said, I called the lender and said, I cannot complete this appraisal. And they said, why? And I said, I can't tell you why. I don't know. I just don't have a, a good feeling about this. and I don't want to be involved with it anymore. Wow. Um, and that was it. Until five years later, um, I watched the news, yeah. and sure enough, they said that there, were, there was a uh, the missing women's case was solved, and they had found something on the property in Port Coquitlam. I called my office and asked them to do a search of the property address, um, and immediately they pulled it up. It was that property. Wow! 
And so, uh, so of course, chills ran up my spine at that point. No and, kidding. Uh, the rest is the rest is history. Wow, wow, that's uh, yeah, huh, that's a. Uh, yeah, I tell my appraisers now that um, you know just be very, very careful of where they're going. Um, just be very cognizant of, of their surroundings, and if at any moment you don't feel comfortable, um, you know, leave the situation. Yeah, trust your gut, I guess. Trust your gut, and it's interesting. I'm on a, I'm on a, an appraisal group um, that's uh, North America wide, and routinely American appraisers are carrying um, sidearms to their appraisal appointments, which is more of a commentary on the different cultures between <laughs> the United States and Canada. But uh, I can't imagine carrying a a pistol on my hip into an appraisal appointment, regardless of whether it was a, an acreage in Portland equipment. Beyond the pay grade, maybe. <laughs> Beyond the pay grade, exactly. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So for people listening that would like to improve the value of their home, what are some small things that they can do? So small things that people can do, and in fact, I get asked this question quite a bit. Um, what it really boils down to is um, cleanliness and paint. Those are the two easiest things you can do to improve the value of your home for when the appraiser is going to arrive. Right. First impressions are everything, so I would start with the front yard, making sure the lawn is mowed. It may seem like small things, but when we're talking about getting the most out of the value of your property for your lender or for the buyer, um, the small things do count. So uh, cleaning up the front yard, uh, making sure the front door is painted and, and not scratched. Sometimes people overlook that because they're walking through the door all the time. And uh, they don't notice that their front door is beat up. Um, and then basically just uh, tidiness and cleanliness of the house, as well as um, if you can put fresh paint, fresh paint, I call it bang for your buck, goes the, goes the longest. Right. Um, it doesn't cost you much to paint the home, and uh, it certainly will get you the biggest return in terms of uh, return on investment. Right. Not Nothing cheaper than a can of paint. Absolutely. So in that same vein, what about some larger improvements? So if somebody was going to take on a reno, where might they start? This depends um, particularly on what the home needs. So um, when sometimes people will ask, well, I, you know, they've learned that kitchens were the best thing to, re- um, to return value to a property. However, and so someone will embark on a kitchen renovation, but the home is only a year old. Mm-hmm. So that home didn't necessarily need a kitchen renovation. So they probably, uh, you know, thrown throwing good money away by uh, by changing the kitchen that early in the in the home's life. So you really need to look at what um, what the home needs. So I would suggest that making sure your roof is done. Um, it's it's one of the larger ticket items on the property. Right. However, when someone looks at a home and they say they see that the roof is past its uh, past its or near the end of its economic life, they start to wonder what other things in the home haven't been done. Right. Maybe what are the things that, uh, what are the, some of the maintenance items that haven't taken place? So uh, for a home that is, of a, let's say it's a dated age, sometimes something between say 20 and 30 years of age, the things that will start to um, creep up as things you might want to do would be kitchens, would be bathrooms, would be flooring um, and fixtures. So, a home of about 20 years old is probably today going to have, it could have an oak kitchen. It could have um, raised oak panels or it could have uh, heritage style paneling. A lot of people are looking for more updated kitchens than that today. So if you could do a, even a low quality, low cost kitchen upgrade, 
uh, would certainly have a good return on investments. Right. Um, and then following that with bathrooms and fixtures for sure. Flooring. Um, if you have worn carpets, I would suggest that that get replaced. Um, sometimes it's, it's better to put a cheap carpet into a property to sell it than to leave worn carpet in there. So it may cost you three, four, five thousand dollars $5,000 to replace some worn carpet. However, the return when you sell the property in this market will be greater than that three, four, or five thousand dollars. Right, right, right. Um, what about blemishes in flooring? So, for hardwood flooring, if there are blemishes or scratches, is that something that you would recommend changing out? Depends on if it can be. Um, so, if you if you're looking at a blemish on the floor that can be um, hidden in some way, right. or if you can arrange the furniture in such a way that it doesn't uh, doesn't stand out, then I would do that. However, if it's something that's very noticeable and a buyer is going to be deterred by it, then yeah, you would you would want to fix it. However, if the cost to fix it is is let's say for instance it's twenty five thousand dollars to fix a blemish, mm-hmm. um, you may not want to to go that far for for something like that. So disclose to the buyer, but trick the appraiser. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, we get that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> we get that a lot. Great. Well, well, thanks a lot for your time, Lee. This has been a, an excellent interview. Thanks, thanks for um, thanks for taking the time. Thank you. Very enjoyable. I like the podcast. Okay, thanks. Have a great day. You as well. Take care. Okay. So there you have it, folks. Adam's discussion with Lee Walker. Super interesting conversation. Very interesting At guy. Least for me, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You, you, well, you were hearing it from the door, and then you got to hear the raw audio. Yeah, of you it. know what? I was listening to your questions, and I couldn't hear Lee's answers. But uh, right, man, compelling stuff. Those last two stories were. It, it wouldn't have been as compelling just listening to one side of that conversation. <laughs> your questions were amazing. Were they a little canned? <laughs> Uh, so anyways, Lee, Lee is a, is a very interesting guy and, and we were very excited that we had to have him or yeah, got to have I mean, him. I mean, the, the story about the, the Titanic condo in Cole Harbor was, was <laughs> hilarious. Hilarious. Yeah. yeah kind of, uh, Howard Hughes-esque. Yeah. Howard Hughes-esque for sure. But I kind of got to respect a guy who just has deep pockets and is willing to renovate a place exactly how he wants yeah, it. Yeah. Market be damned. I sure. want these, I want these 120 year old ship windows. Yeah. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what, what anybody else says for yeah, resale. Yeah, but yeah. that's, uh, yeah, definitely interesting. And then, of course, contrasted dramatically with, uh, the story of the Picton farm, which, yeah. uh, Matt, you, you were obviously outside when, uh, when I was listening to that story, but, I assure you my jaw was uh uh on the, on the on the desk and uh yeah anyways it's a a tragic story and uh very eerie and um I think it goes to show that Lee's had a very uh a varied career in terms of what I mean hey they, if if anyone's looking for a, a career change or a career path I mean it sounds like appraising is is one that's going to throw you curveballs he's seen a lot yeah for sure for sure but uh 
anyways, we're looking forward to next week. We've got uh, our interview with Dustin Woodhouse, who we're very excited about. He's yeah. an incredibly successful, wildly successful mortgage broker. Yeah, massive, massive mortgage uh, broker. One of the biggest in uh, in Western Canada and potentially in Canada um, and uh, as well. And uh, we're looking forward. We're going to be talking to him about some of the risks associated with going subject-free. So yeah, the potential pitfalls of, of subject-free no subject-to-financing. And so, I believe... He has a secret recipe for how to be successful in, in those types of transactions. So it's going to be, it's a good one to wait for. So stay tuned for next week when we get a secret recipe from Dustin Woodhouse yeah. and maybe uh, a family recipe from Matt Scalina. <laughs> Bring your cookie. My recipe. pecan pie is amazing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so thanks a lot, Matt. How yeah, can they reach you? They can re- you guys can reach me at 778-847-2854 or at matt at scalinarealestate.com. And my number is 778-866-4574 or adam at scalinarealestate.com. And we always have the nonpartisan line, info at scalinarealestate.com. So don't hesitate to get in touch. We love hearing from you guys. And, For uh, sure. And rate us on iTunes. We've got almost 50, yeah. 50 ratings as it stands. And we Fantastic. read all of them. And, and we love that people are actually uh, reaching out. Uh, and, and Yeah. And, and actually listening. This is great. So thanks again. And look forward to next week. Take care, guys. This has been the Vancouver Real Estate Podcast with Adam and Matt Scalina. Contact us anytime at 778-866-4574 or 778-847-2854 or online at www.scalinarealestate.com. Subscribe today. Hey, everyone. Pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. This podcast is sponsored by Common Ground Consulting. Are you developing in the Lower Mainland? Common Ground Consulting is a development management and consulting company with experience in single family, townhouses, multifamily, and commercial developments. What I love about Common Ground, Adam, is they manage the whole development process from due diligence and feasibility reports for initial purchase of land to completing rezoning, development permits, and building permits. They streamline the whole process with strong relationships with sub-consultants and municipalities and a deep understanding of all city requirements. Common Ground Consulting. Feasibility and efficiency prioritized every step of the way. Learn more at commonground-consulting.com or 604-807-6419. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020.